Welcome back. Today we're going to be talking about this crazy subject that is on everyone's mind most of the time: money. Hi there. What's up? I'm Ola, an inhabitant of Lightbulb Moments, aka marketing director, a happy aunt, and an utter nerd. I'm Chris, a designer, a creative tech enthusiast, and a semi-grown kid. This is the Renting Bananas podcast, where Chris and I explore the depths of the human condition, covering everything from sex to relationships, to mental health and how to stop spending money on things you don't need, and everything nomad life. Join us on this audio journey as we ask more questions than we can actually answer. Uh, eventually, I think money would be、uh, a good topic to dive into because money is such a big, broad subject. But really, today we want to focus on money in terms of our personal journey with money, what we've learned, and some tips from our perspective. I want to prerequisite this with saying we're not really money experts. The whole point that we're talking about this is so we can learn together and maybe have some feedback from the people listening. Hopefully, this is useful for you. Anything you want to add, Ola? Yeah, I think part of it is that this is going to be a series. I think because it's going to be a whole journey for us, for Chris and I, to learn about how we can best put our money somewhere to make it grow itself. So I think we're learning here,、um, like Chris said,、uh, but we'll also be inviting people. To come on the show and help us because we'll we'll need help from the experts ourselves. So why not use those learnings and share that with you guys? So the idea is that we all together learn and and are able to reach financial freedom. Okay, let's dive straight in to the first question, which is how have you been earning your money at the moment, Ola? Okay, I think this one's funny because I think this is the first time in my life where I've had just one job. Where I'm like, okay, this is the one thing I'm doing and and focusing on because my whole life I had been very, I want to call it ADD in business, but I, I enjoyed the hustle, and I enjoyed trying different things. I enjoyed investing my money in new businesses and seeing where it takes me. So I had always had that kind of curiosity. I、had multiple businesses. I had a fitness studio in Vietnam. Did some import export. Had a makeup import business. Yeah, you name it. Lots of different things. And also, my jobs had also been varied in different industries, from model management to now working in tech. To of course, when I want to say what I've been doing, I'm blanking. <laughs> so now I'm working at a tech company. It's a creative tech company. We do storytelling through emerging tech, which just means we create really cool stuff. Using AR, VR, and mixed reality, it's an American company, and I think for the longest time, my strategy to make money was to save money, and I did that not by spending less per se, but just by choosing to be in countries where I knew I would spend less, even if I spent more. So the strategy was living in third world countries. So I was in Vietnam for ages, and then I went to Mexico, and then earning. In dollars, because obviously the exchange rate means that you've got the advantage. So rent would be just pennies, and then you'd have all the rest of money to spend on the silly things you enjoy in life, like oysters. Makes sense. Okay, typically how you've been earning money, even from different avenues, it was very active versus passive income, right? Is that true? Yeah, and I think that's also one of the reasons why this subject. 
is so important to me because I'm now 30 and I'm like, how am I going to start making my money work for me? But you've been dabbling. So tell me about you now. Sure. Maybe we should step back just a little bit and explain what active and passive income for those who might not know. Yeah. So active income is really the use of labor, trading your time for money. So going to work at a coffee shop or whatever, you basically get the immediate reward for your time that you trade with money. Active income is also the most common way. And then for passive, it's you put a bulk of time up front and you build a system that works for you. So then it makes essentially money when you know, you're sleeping or on the toilet, but you don't actually have to put any work into it. But for me, it's always been about design work. And even when I was at university, actually, even before design, I had a, a couple of jobs uh, that I would do throughout the week just to fund my lifestyle or my uni lifestyle. So that's always been a thing for me. And even when I've had these full-time jobs, I've also did lots of freelance work. And since my sabbatical, that's also what I've done. And I'm definitely in the same boat as you in terms of being very lucky and making an American salary or even getting paid in dollars, but also being in Asia. So that's really primarily what I have been doing. But I've been thinking about passive income for a while, not that I've done much to it, but on my journey of trying to think about passive income and how I could earn it, then things like, I think everybody knows this, but things like videos and podcasts can generate passive income or even investing in stocks. And we can talk more about that later, but thinking about how to make passive income, I think will be such a huge shift in, in what I do with my money. But typically, yeah, I'm definitely one or two design jobs. That's how I do it. But it, it's not the most efficient way, I think we can agree. Yeah, that comes back to that kind of what we were saying, trading your time for money, because I think so often we're like, if the salary's high, then it's fine. But is it really when you really look at investment and, and how that passive income can actually work for you, you realize that the time that you've been spending working, no matter how high that salary is, still still means you're still doing a big trade. And I think part of what I mentioned earlier in our intro talking about financial freedom is that that financial freedom means that you are the the owner of your time. So it doesn't matter afterwards how much time you put in because the output, the, the stuff you get out, the money that you get out is enough or is more than enough. So you don't have to worry about putting that time in. I think there's a difference between wanting to be rich, right? In quotation marks, like what does being rich really means? I think for me, having the material goods, sure, it's great to have nice things. But I think truly being rich is being able to say, I want to do this with my time and then just being able to do it. Yeah. And I think passive income in that sense can afford you that freedom, right? Because you don't have to spend time actively to make that money. And then therefore you can then pick and choose, right? If it becomes at a substantial level. Right. One, one of the things when we talk about money, of course, we are cognizant of how we're earning it because we're doing it every day. But are we aware of how we really spend it? Because that's, I think, one of the starting points of trying to be better with your money or try to be more wise and tactical with, with how you allocate your capital. Let me ask you this. How have you been spending your money? <laughs> First of all, 
the worst thing happened and I, I'm being very dramatic here but I moved to a first world country and not just any first world country I moved to England and not just anywhere in England I moved to London which is like spendings go if I think about how much stuff cost me in Mexico versus how much they cost me here so my house in Mexico was a beautiful house converted from a massive mansion in the 70s. So they had split that up into two like bigger uh, apartments. I had uh, three bedrooms, two bathrooms, huge patio, nice balcony, open plan living room, living the life for $650 a month, which is ridiculous, ridiculous. And hot tip here, the way to get nice places that are fully furnished, because if you're like me and stuff is half in Vietnam, half in Poland, half you don't know where, and you don't know where you're gonna end up next because you just love the nomad life. The tip to do that is to go on Airbnb, find a really nice place, start chatting with the landlord, go see the place and then chat in person and say, hey, let's just skip this whole fee and, and put the money in your pocket. But in exchange, I'll sign a one-year lease, but you give me lower rent. So that's also how I was, was able to get a place that cost $900 for $650. But it was super nice. Come here. I'm already used to this standard of living because, of course, in Vietnam, the places I had were also super nice because it's also super cheap. And I'm like, I don't know what to do <laughs> in London. For that amount are A, impossible, B, crap. Um, and I'm a spoiled little gal now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was like, oh, God, what do I do? So obviously you triple the amount that you had been spending. And I think that was a kick in the stomach for me like how can i make the money that i'm earning earn its own money because i'm obviously spending a part of it and now a part that i actually notice versus before where it's okay yeah done what else can i spend on this month god so irresponsible <laughs> and so that spending in itself i think was the biggest eye-opening kind of moment for me hey what's coming in is not multiplying fast enough for what's coming out because right now you're in a place where that money coming out actually makes a dent so how can you reverse that how can you turn that on its head but it's definitely been that quarantine buying i i think was a thing for me at the beginning and i think we had chatted about this a while back definitely affected me in the beginning and it's like who needs clothes we're not even going anywhere and somehow you find yourself just buying things you don't even need. So shopping definitely was was an issue. I am one of those people that will go to Whole Foods and just spend a ridiculous amount of money on healthy snacks or just organic heirloom, whatever, tomatoes grown by a farmer who only eats organic as well. <laughs> Something ridiculous, you know, that marketing just works for me. So those kind of spendings, I think, are silly, definitely can be curbed. And I've been trying to do that. I think last month I haven't shopped. Yeah, much better with my groceries as well. So Sainsbury's. So I have a question. <laughs> Let's just say, and this obviously doesn't have to be super accurate because I don't know how much you track this, but let's say the last five years, can you try to give us a percentage of what you've spent your money mm -hmm. on? So for like housing and all that stuff, because obviously now there's a big cut with, with housing, right? Yeah. That's more, the, the percentage has grown. Give us a rough digest of like areas. So it's, it's funny. Have you heard of this billionaire called Lee Ka-shing? 
Yes, I know him, but I don't know him well. Yeah, so he's a Hong Kong business magnate, investor, philanthropist, and he's like the 30th richest person in the world. And the cool story about him is that he um, started out as an apprentice in a plastics factory and then slowly worked his way up to be factory manager at just like 18. And then now, as of 2018, he's worth $35.3 billion. Pretty good, Li Keqing. But anyway, Li Keqing has, has this had this advice that I, I had heard when I was, I think I was also very young at that time. I think I was 17 because one of my first bosses that I had worked for, Richard, he, he had taught me about time management. And as he was teaching me about time management, he was saying time management doesn't make sense or money management also doesn't make sense if time management is not involved. So it's, it's, it's mutually inclusive. If you talk about one, you have to talk about the other. So anyway, I heard about Li Keqing and Li Keqing's financial management tips that had stuck with me back then was you divide whatever you have incoming. So you get your salary, you get your money and you split it into five envelopes. So you put 30% into your living expenses, right? So you've got your rent, your food, that's your living expenses. So you put 30% of what you earn into that. You put 15% into learning and education. That's an investment that then will allow you to make more money, right? Because the more you learn, the more you become skilled, the more skilled you become, the higher your salary. So that's part of investment. Then you put 10% in overseas holidays, which I thought was very, you know, fresh to me at that time, because I obviously had been a kid that had traveled a lot and we moved around a lot. So hearing that, I was like, okay, this guy gets it. <laughs> and I think that's another investment because it's not just about going places. It's not just about travel, but it's about what you get when you travel, learning the different cultures, learning open-mindedness, seeing how people work and, and do stuff overseas, like you have seen by living in Southeast Asia, right? And, and I have as well, and, and learning that hustle as well. And then you do 25% in actual investments. So learning to invest in things. And I think that's one part that I have not listened to or been able to do until now, right? And then there's 20% that's put into making friends, which is networking, right? making friends. So going out and spending on people. Um, and one of his advices is also when you're poor, spend on people. And when you're rich, let people spend on you. That was really funny because that's something you always see when you you become rich, right? Or when people earn a certain success, there's always money that gets spent on them because then they're treated a certain way because then they set a standard and then wherever they go, people have to spend on them. You'll see celebrities have their have their writers and then there's certain things that they want and that's part of their, their contract and whatnot. So he says when you're poor, you want to spend on others and invest in other people and, and show them that you're willing to put that money out there and that because you're willing to spend that money, it's also that you're making enough money to spend that money. So like putting faith in people, like creating that faith that people then have in you to to invest in you later, maybe. But investing in friends and networking so that you can expand your your circle and learn, right? Learn from those people, but also be able to be with people that also spend, right? That also invest so you can learn from that. So I think at that time, that advice from me was like, okay, this is good. This is solid. This is easy enough to understand. There's percentage attached to it, so I can obviously apply it to myself. And it's easy to divide things up and then go from there. So I think luckily, because I had then gone and lived in third world countries, 
and been able to earn in dollars, my living expenses were actually way lower. So I think um, for my living expenses, I actually had only been spending 20% versus his 30%. I was not investing, but I was saving that money. So I was saving a bit more, so maybe 35% or even more sometimes. And learning, I think that was always part of part of my investments. Whatever courses I'd take on the side, buying books, going to, to uh, talks and, and things like that had always been a part of an investment. But I don't think I ever spent up to 15%, though there were months that I would spend on courses that would be more expensive. But overseas holidays... Definitely would spend more on that. <laughs> same, same. But, but, I, but I justified it, right? Like we would justify it. We're like, oh, the place we live in is so cheap. So maybe that 10% I saved on living expenses would actually go there. <laughs> and then making friends. I don't think I ever thought of it in the ways that Li Kasheng thought about it. I, mm-hmm. I was just like, I just love my friends. And I'm generally that kind of person that would just be like, let me buy your drink. Like just because I want everyone to get wasted. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like, inviting people over for dinner that was always kind of you know so i never really thought of it like oh i'm going to invite this person and this is like my investment to like have this person here i don't think i ever thought about it that way mm-hmm. so it was more like okay this is a fund that i spend because i just enjoy company and and doing silly things but that kind of shaped a lot of my years in terms of like how i split my money so i think this year had been a big year of okay let's put that one bit that I did not put to work, right? Let's put mm-hmm. investment. Let's actually start at least putting 25%, if not more, into investment. But I'm also a very cautious person. I like having my information. I like understanding what I'm doing and not just blindly kind of like, oh, everyone's investing, so I'm going to do that. Although I did that with crypto, I think. <laughs> did it go well? Because Bitcoin has been pretty high these days, right? So <laughs> It kind of worked well, I guess, for me in the end. So yeah, so putting that, how do I invest in a smart way? Because I also don't want to just be like, okay, this stock I heard is good and whatever. I want to understand it on a deeper level. So mm-hmm. I guess I'm applying my learning budget before this year ends to taking an accounting 101 class with Wharton Business School. And then I'm doing, I found a Harvard Business School leading with finance course, which is what I want to take to be able to understand really what what am I doing with my money? How is my money going to work? And just getting the basics of it all. So, so I think that's my approach to it. Anyway, that was a long way of answering your question. So how have you been splitting your money? How have you been tracking it? What's been the, the Chris mm-hmm. way? Let's tackle the first one. Let's start off with how I've been spending my money. Apart from all the fixed things that you need to spend your money on, which is like rent and bills. Luckily, I've been in Asia, so rent has typically been between 10 to 15% of your monthly income. And that's great, really manageable. I'm sure in places like Hong Kong and even in London, that stuff goes all the way up to 25 to 50% in, in, in some cases, just depending what you're earning and, and etc. So I've been clamping down on my living expenses. So in terms of one of the envelopes, it definitely hasn't been, I don't think as high as 30%. It really depends because like you, I have been spending a lot of money on just traveling in general, just enjoying the time. Whether or not you can bulk making friends and traveling together, that could be interesting because then you have mm-hmm. 30% leverage on, on, on what you have. But uh, I used to buy clothes all the time, but 
because I've been in Vietnam for so long and the options are limited, the only opportunities are if you go abroad, you end up doing one or two big shops a year, whatever the, mm-hmm. the amount you spend is, and then you just don't buy anymore. So I've been very good at that. But most of my money really goes into the area of going out, whether you count that as making friends budget or what, and also food, and that comes under living. So I think I'm still under yeah. uh, that kind of thing. I, I have been definitely spending more on things like electronics for good purposes, right? But I think one of the things that I haven't been very good at in terms of this five envelope strategy, which is one is the investments and two is uh, learning and education. I think I'm quite cheap when it comes to education, which is a bit weird. <laughs> like, I, I don't believe you have to pay to get a good education. I think it's really about how you learn things and then where you can find the information from. And that's one of the good things about the internet, right? It's just so much information, how much of it is bullshit and how much is it useful. I think it's really how you apply what you've read or what you found out into something tangible and then put that thing into process. I really like this strategy that you mentioned and I think I might try it, maybe just like in one month and try doing it, yeah. Hold on, so you were talking about you not being really good in terms of like education bit, like that you're a cheap guy, but I think what you're forgetting, and this is coming back to what we were talking about at the beginning, is you invest so much time into educating yourself. All that stuff that you're talking about, like not spending the money on it, you have been spending, you've just been spending time because the countless YouTube videos that you've watched of Casey Neistat, the countless stuff that you do, you know, how to like video produce, like how to edit, how to do podcasts, all of that has been your investment. And I think even though you think you've not been investing, I definitely think you have been investing and just watching your journey of how much you've been able to learn. That's an investment that I think is going to pay off when we sell this podcast for 20 million. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, yeah, you're completely right. And maybe we're thinking about this envelope thing completely wrong because you don't necessarily have capital invest, but the, the next best thing is time because that then brings hopefully yeah. capital. But yeah, you're right. I spend more than 15% of in terms of my time on learning stuff. And uh, that's always been the case. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah no, that's a very definitely. good point. But luckily, because a lot of people, when they think about spending money, a, a big chunk of that usually goes to some sort of debt, like mm. interest mm. or student loan. So I'm lucky that I don't have any short-term debt apart from yeah. my student loan, but we'll see what happens with that. Anyway. <laughs> how, much more do you have to, how much more do you have to pay off, Chris? I don't know. All of it, just all of it, yeah. Wow. But, well, oh, because you've been living abroad, so you've not yeah. really been. Oh, that yeah. yeah. And that's and that I think this is a good tip, right? Especially because education, at least in the UK, has gone so much, like in terms of price. I think this is a good tip: is if you want to make the system work for you in a way, living abroad after you've finished uni and you have loans in the UK you don't have to pay them back until you're back and you're earning the money back here, right? I mean, it's a loophole because you technically should be paying back because you're earning money elsewhere. It's that they never check, really. And when they do send you those letters, I'm pretty sure you're like, oh, I don't make enough money to pay back. (laughs) You just sign that bit. (laughs) Exactly. I just basically pretend I'm a vagabond. Back to the student loans, but I want to make sure that we're not supporting any sort of evasions of not paying back your debts. But I think so often in life, this system against you because it's in a way it's a poverty trap, right? You, you spend all this money 
get an education. And in the UK, at least, it's not as outrageous as it is in the US. Whereas like after having an undergrad education, you have spent $120,000, which is ridiculous. Coming out to getting an entry job and having that much debt to me is insane. I don't have any student uh, loans, thank God. But it's just already having the amount that you have to pay in the UK, the odds are already stacked up against you. And I think taking that extra time for yourself by being abroad, learning the culture, learning the ways there, opening up your mind and then earning that money to be able to then come back and comfortably pay back your debt, I think is just giving yourself a little bit of a head start. I'm not saying don't pay back those loans, do pay back those loans, but the system is stacked up against us most of the time. So it's okay if we take the power back to the people. <laughs> sure, yeah, and uh, just to close out on that student loan thing, yeah, you're essentially, if you do live abroad, you have to tell them, and, and, and that's the first thing, and you should, but you're essentially deferring your loan for another year, and they're okay with it. If you're okay with also paying that low interest that they've promised, it's great, but with the Americans, it's very difficult because some people don't get out of it until they're like 45 years old, and that's really crazy. Their whole economy is basically run on debt anyway, so it's nuts. In the UK, you do have that flexibility of deferring it until you're ready to pay anyway. But on the last point is in the five envelopes sort of strategy, 25% on investment. So I've recently basically invested 20% of everything I have essentially um, mm -hmm. of liquidity into stocks. So hopefully my strategy is to double not the percentage but hopefully the amount year by year and treat it way more seriously than i ever have done and trying to put that money to work and we can speak about how we're going to do that and and why we do that a bit later but that's just how i've been spending my money recently so we spoke about how we've spent our money but also another critical thing that we've just touched really lightly is how we've been saving or what are our saving habits what are some of the things that we want to speak to you guys about in terms of tips for saving and what to look out for you've mentioned that because you've lived in countries that you have higher disposable income yeah talk to us about your saving habits yeah so i think as we talk about savings i i do want to bring up something that i actually noticed you've put in your notes as well for the podcast I think, and this is coming from our cultural background and like our Asian heritage, I'm sure there are other people out there in different countries that will be dealing with a similar situation. But I think for Asian kids, uh, a lot of what you'll see, and I think as you meet people from Vietnam or China or Japan or anywhere in Asia, really, um, there's a certain expectation that you grow up with, which is that you will end up taking care of your parents. And I think that happens sooner or later. And I think maybe for you and I, that happened sooner than rather than later. I had, for one, had been basically contributing at the beginning to helping my mom since I was, I think, 16. After I got my first job at 15, then like my second job, my brother, who's 11 years older, had been mainly taking care of her. But I had been contributing ever since. And in the last uh, years, it's been me who's been the main, the main person to support my mom. And I think when you talk about saving, you need to also obviously look at that because part of your savings, which you would normally have just put aside, you would be obviously spending on another person. And, and there's a certain sense of gratitude, but also kind of 
obligation that you have, right? Growing up in an Asian culture, because you're told I've sacrificed my whole life for you, I've done all this for you. So it is expected of you that you would take care of your parents and your parents had obviously taken care of your grandparents. And that's also why often in Asian homes, you'll have four generations living together, right? Because that's where that also comes from. And I, I don't know if you guys have seen a video that Chris has recently posted about his seven years, um, but, he, uh, but he had mentioned the story, a very short story at that point, just uh, quickly mentioned the story of his parents and how they came about to be living abroad. And I think that's interesting because my family also had a similar story, but Chris, uh, Chris's family comes from the South, whereas my family comes from the North. So during the, the American War, which is how we refer to it, unlike the Vietnam War, which is how the other side refers to it, <laughs> during mm -hmm. the American War, things were very different for the North and the South because the North was obviously communist and, and the South was trying to fight against communism and kind of joined. The difference though is that your parents were leaving, they had left uh, because they had like this support to leave, right? There was some kind of support provided to, for them to leave and not have to live in what then would be communist Vietnam. And I think on my end, what happened was my dad got also support from the communist government to go and live in a communist country and learn there. So he had gone to Poland to learn engineering. But when it comes to my mom, um, the situation is a little bit different because my dad left and took us with him. So I was very young and, and he had divorced my mom and just took us away and cut off her visa. So she ended up just being alone in Vietnam and, and not having a way to get to to Poland to get to us and so what she ended up doing was she had decided to go on that journey by herself in an illegal way so it took her I think nine months to get from Vietnam to Poland in the very early 90s on boats trains trucks through jungles having lost most of her possessions um, lost most of our baby photos things that she brought with her and she's only what 153 centimeters tall so she's this tiny little lady taking on this massive journey to to get to her kids it was a huge sacrifice and i think growing up i always felt that you know it's not something she would tell me but i always felt that i in some way had to make up for it and i think i've lived with that kind of sense of, of obligation but also that i owed her something i owed her my life and like i owed her that sacrifice that she she had made and i needed to make sure that she would be well taken care of and happy on the flip side that whatever i did i had to do the best so that i could provide the best to her for all that suffering that she went through and i think this is a subject for like another podcast because obviously there's also a lot of unhealthy ways to think about that because it's what my therapist always says like that kind of debt it doesn't it doesn't go forward. It doesn't work like that because your parents choose to have you. So you don't mm. really owe them. But obviously growing up in Asian cultures, you always think about that. And, and I think I always felt like I need to push myself harder so that I can give back. So that sense of giving to your parents and taking care of them was multiplied tenfold for me. So I think that's probably made my savings the hardest because not mm -hmm. only do I take care of my mom, but I'm also like, hey, mom, go on a holiday, you know, treat yourself, do this and do that, which is not helpful in terms of savings. And, and again, doing that, living in a cheaper country uh, where you spend less, it's fine. Mm -hmm. But when you move to London, you're like, 
oh my god, your holiday is actually gonna it's it's actually gonna add up to all the stuff that I'm spending on. So long story short, savings definitely living in a third world country is a huge way to save. Having housemates, and I think, man, it is the hardest thing for me because I love my space. I love my space, and I love not being bothered. And I'm OCD, so I like things exactly where I left them. I like things to be clean all the time. I like things to be organized. So like having housemates is a huge thing for me. But when I moved here, my niece had just finished her, so I decided to say, "Hey, come live with me." Which in a way would be a saving, but she does not earn that much money, so I'm covering <laughs> <laughs> part of her rent. So this is very bad. So far, my savings are just bad. But yeah, not shopping for things you don't need. Always asking your, that question: Do I need this, or do I just want it? And how long is this thing going to last if I buy it? Because I think that's a huge way to save: is buying things that last. Yeah, I think. Not spending on bread that's artisanal, but just buying nice bread that's good enough. You know, like just knowing the worth of things, and and knowing that if you go to a normal supermarket versus an organic supermarket, that could be three times as much that you spend. You can still indulge yourself, but maybe indulge yourself on the weekend, and then most of the time try and save. Sorry, long answer to your question, Chris, but I think necessary for context as well as mm-hmm. as who get to know us. I think that Asian bit is very a very big part of who we are in a way and how we how we structure our finances. Yeah, that makes total sense. If that's the motivation that drives you, I, I think it's worth mentioning. It, it's so funny when we speak about that sort of sense of duty and obligation to our parents. I think we've all felt it in you know various ways. Of course, the way you spoke about it sounds like you've definitely had that growing up more imprinted on you than I have. I guess I was uh, quite a selfish child. I, like I heard about these stories and I just thought they were cool. Oh, awesome story mm-hmm. versus anything deeper than that. But as I've grown older and hopefully a bit more wiser, then that stuff has really come to the forefront of my thinking. And uh, I think I'm the same as you, although albeit you've done it way earlier. But yeah, now I'm taking care of my mom and Yet again, if she's like, I want a new motorbike, I'm like, all right, or I want to go to Taiwan for my birthday with my friends, I'm like, okay, right, like, there's almost nothing I would say no to, unless it's, like, really ridiculous and stupid. Yeah. And um, that's just the way life is now. Uh, I I have been living with her for a year, like, a couple of years now, moved her in, and, um, like, I didn't want to do that. Who wants to live at your, like, with your mum when you're 30 years old? No, man. Like, it's, like, literally the biggest cock block, right? Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and girls have left my apartment because my they've seen my mum there. Literally, it's so bad, dude. Yeah. It's, it's, it's unreal. But that feeling has trumped... The feeling of, like, sense of duty has trumped all the other things. And it, it's a conscious choice that I've made and it's fine there's a, definitely another episode where we can dive into what that means yeah. but when we're talking about saving habits how, how do you typically do it I think everybody knows the the basics which is one is track your expenses yeah. I used to be very meticulous of how I did that got the app and literally every single cent or pound or whatever you want to call it dong that I spend on I would track it 
in this app. So then it was uh, an instrument for me to measure where I spend most of my money. So therefore I can cut. Mm -hmm. That's how I used to do it. Now I still track it, but not as meticulously. I don't care if I have money in my wallet. I don't track every expense. I just track the, the big withdrawal at the beginning of the week, for example. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yet again, because we've lived in developing markets or emerging markets, going out and paying for rent is a, a lot better. So therefore you save more. At one point I was saving 60% of my salary every month on mm -hmm. a month where I wouldn't mm -hmm. travel or just have limited activity. I would put away 60%. And that was like my goal. It, it's funny because when people say save what you don't spend, really the flip side should be spend what you don't save. If you, Agreed. if you, yeah, if you prioritize your saving, which you should, then you can change that mindset and really just say, okay, this is the amount I want to save and this is the disposable income I have. And I never really thought about this until I was probably like 28, <laughs> which is really late, <laughs> but it's better than never, right? Yeah. I was just spending whatever I had and, and that's it. And then next month, I'll, you know, spend that uh, whatever. And uh, lots of people still live like that. And I'm not saying it's bad, but you're not really planning for your future. Right. And yeah, for the last, I guess, four years, I've been averaging at a, a decent amount. So I, I've definitely prioritized saving over the last four years, and that's really good. But I didn't really grow up with a great financial education. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of our education system has failed us in terms of just teaching really good financial habits. I saw my parents and their financial habits, and some are good and some are bad, but not mm -hmm. a very systematic way to approach that. And unless you're interested in economics, you don't learn this anywhere. Who do you learn it from? Your friends and conversations yeah. like this. So it's very difficult, but now I'm getting better at it. Yeah, that's my saving habits. Yeah, yeah it's interesting, isn't it? Because you think that's exactly what school should be for, is to prepare us for that actual, for actually living. And, and, and because we live in a you know, capitalist world, you think that they would teach us how to manage capital, but they don't. And then you turn 30 and you're like, I don't actually know how money is made outside of just selling my time for it. I think that's obviously what we're trying to solve for here on this money series. But yeah, speaking of the app that you used to use, actually, let's talk about apps because I think Personally, I don't actually have a bank account. I don't have a traditional bank account. I have a TransferWise, I have a Monzo, I have a Revolut. So it's the bank accounts of people that live everywhere and anywhere. And also when you freelance a lot, that's a good way of not have that money being tracked. But there's loads of apps that you can use that will take out whatever uh, the number is to round it up and save that. So for example, you buy your coffee or whatever for $1.50, then 50 cents goes into your savings. And I think that's a really nice and easy automated way to just be like, not think about your savings, but actually have something safe for you. I also think having multiple accounts, you know, what I do is I get my money in dollars and then I'll exchange part of it into pounds and the stuff that's in dollars I just don't touch it that's it this is all the money that you have the rest goes into savings and that's it so I think that's a good way to also use an app to create a little bit of a of a savings cushion for yourself uh, what other apps are there that people can use to save 
Yeah, I mean, I could speak about the one I'm using, which is Spendy, right? It's probably not the mm-hmm. bo- like the the best sort of expense tracking. There there are so many. Uh, just figure out and, and try them for free, and then obviously upgrade to Pro if you want to, for example, connect your bank account to it. So then it becomes even more automated. But yeah, I think the first step to saving is knowing where your money goes. And then you can start cutting out things and then allocating it to, you know, a bank account, like mm-hmm. you were saying. But I think Spendy works for me because it's really simple and there's different categories of what you spend on. For example, like hobbies or cinema or all, all the things you can think of, all the categories that you can group together. So, yeah, that that's why I like it. And I've just been using it for years. And I don't think I could ever go back to a life of not tracking it just because I want to know that mm-hmm, yeah. and make data informed decisions hopefully yes. yeah okay what is your biggest fear for the future in terms of money what are you thinking about and yeah what's on top of your mind i think part of it is 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 talking about what we were saying about our taking care of our parents i think when i was younger and and my mom would ask me when are you going to get married and have a kid I would very rudely sometimes because I'd get frustrated say I already have a kid and and obviously that's a very not nice thing to say but but the gist of it is there is a spending that I have already as if I did have you know what well, I have another person I'm taking care of so I think part of my fear is how can I make enough to give my child the kind of life that I'd like where where I can give it the comforts of having extracurricular education, being able to go horse ride and just providing that kind of best life, but also having enough that I have enough time to spend with my family. So I think I'm definitely at that age where I think a lot about having a family, about settling down and about being a mom. And I think it scares me that obviously my job will keep paying me as I go on maternal leave, but I would want to be able to say, okay, for the first two years of, of my child's life, maybe I want to stay home or maybe more years than that. I don't know. Or I want to take time off when they're in school and then be able to help them with their homework rather than be stuck in a boardroom, um, you know, doing meetings. So I don't know, just giving that financial freedom that we had mentioned at the beginning to myself. Um, and so, and so that fear is definitely there. How can I, um, be able to multiply what's coming in without multiplying the time that I'm spending because I'm already spending so much time at work and I don't think that I can put even more time in. Um, so I think that's definitely that. And uh, buy a house, how can you do that? The fear of not being able to get a house, you know. Um, but also, what if something happens? and you're no longer able to do what you're doing, right? That's also a fear that I definitely have. So um, yeah, so how can you protect yourself for the future? How can you best prepare yourself for the future in a way that uh, that gives you financial freedom, but gives you a cushion to feel comfortable and, and, and to do whatever you want, really? Yeah, your biggest fears are, are definitely more longer term. I think you, you're trying to get big picture yeah. stuff. Mine are very... <laughs> short to midterm <laughs> focused which is, uh, is yeah interesting <laughs> yeah so so one of the fears that i have is that it's very hard for foreigners to leverage capital from banks 
especially in Asia. Yeah. And the typical way to do it is if you have a job in England, then you can get a mortgage and put some money down and then work on your first property, then your second property and so on and so forth. But with Asia, it's a little bit different. And I think there are banks that will give you, you know, a credit line, but you have to put way more money down. And also, mm-hmm. if you don't know if you're going to be there, that's also, you know, a risk for them. So their risk assessment is so different. So that's something that I'm thinking about. Like, how am I going to buy a house with just cash? That's crazy, right? That is like absolutely crazy. You want to leverage the system mm-hmm. that's already in place to, to benefit you. So, so that's what I'm thinking about. So when I think about buying a house, I'm just like, how do I do it? The, the logistics of it. I still haven't really figured it out because I'm not super fascinated with, the, with property right now, but I will be in the future. Another thing is about the uncertainty about the consistency of earnings that I would make. So because of the pandemic and also because of my sabbatical, I'm thinking in my head, and this is probably good for another deep dive, but do I ever mm. want to go back to the office again? Do I ever want a full-time job? Do I ever want to be a permanent employee of a company? Or do mm. I just want to like do side gigs all the time and just figure things out and then work for myself as well. So that's something that I don't know. And that's definitely a fear of mine. Even when I'm, I've done some interviews, but I'm just like, oh, I'm not that excited like I was before. So that's something that I'm thinking about. When you live in, when you have lived in multiple places and you, you, you think that's also your future, then moving your money around also becomes a bit crazy because of all the fees and there's not really like one solution that's really good and I hope blockchain changes this in terms of like fees and stuff but still it costs money to move money around and so that's something that I need to be cognizant of like where is my money and how do I make mm-hmm. it more efficient right you shouldn't be spending money to spend money like that's fucked up yes. and it's really bad yeah the other is like healthcare asia's not really known for healthcare some countries are like bangkok is great for healthcare singapore is great hong kong's good but mm. let's say for in vietnam right it's all about private yeah. healthcare that's going to be the best healthcare you're ever going to get your parents so without having a job and having insurance if something happens that could easily bankrupt you like it happens in america mm. right mm. So, so that's something i am cognizant about so you definitely need to then plan your savings to have an emergency fund that can then provide you a cushion. If some relatives goes into hospital, you're not completely screwed. And and that's something that's, it's not too far away if you think about it, especially with COVID, like who has COVID insurance, right? Like a lot of countries make you get that now, but something that I think about. And then the last thing I'm gonna mention is assets over liability. What are you spending your money on so that it's an asset? For example, it could be mm-hmm. like things like education or it's something useless like a laptop stand. That's not really an asset. It's going to depreciate and you're going to end up throwing it away. So even like microphones or like equipment that you buy for this podcast, is that an asset to the business? Mm-hmm. Maybe, but maybe it's you don't need the best equipment, right? Like you could just do the job with a pair of AirPods, for example. So I'm thinking more and more about that. And it's a fear because I don't want to go overboard. However, we just had Black Friday, so I just bought a bunch of stuff. And also, he says it, as you guys can see, as I've bought my new podcast mic, and this is what he says, after he's told me to buy one. <laughs> just write it off. Just write it off, mate. Just yeah, claim I'll the tax back. It's fine. Um, 
No, but I I think all the things you mentioned are definitely real fears, and and yeah, totally about the healthcare uh, in Vietnam. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's probably one of the places I also spend the most money on my mom with. And there'll be months when something just happens, and you know she's got glaucoma, so it's like, oh, I need an eye surgery, and it's two and a half thousand dollars, and you're like, I did not prepare to spend this amount of money. But what am I gonna do? I need to. I need to just put put, put you know like put the money in her bank account because I'm far away. Like I don't know what's happening, and and obviously I don't want her to go to a, a national Vietnamese hospital. And I want to mention um, on this podcast because we we touched upon this subject just now. Vietnamese hospitals are not good, but Vietnamese doctors are amazing. And I really want to highlight that. I've worked with a lot of Vietnamese doctors on the uh, surgical charity project, and they're incredible because they're put under so much pressure and they they work day and night on so many different cases. And those like Vietnamese healthcare is centralized. So people from all over the country will come to the biggest Um, cities to the biggest hospitals so the sheer amount of cases that they have mean that they have to be really really good at what they do efficient and also really creative with the solutions they come up with so I do want to mention that I think there could be a whole separate podcast about healthcare systems because there's a lot of layers to the Vietnamese healthcare system but that's definitely a real fear Um, I think investing in your health is a massive way of saving later on And I think that's something that needs to be highlighted, you know, working out, eating healthy, having healthy habits, which Chris, guys, does not have. He What? drinks a lot. Fuck. <laughs> he drinks a lot. He does not work out. I'm going to call you out on this podcast. Um, you need to, you need to, you know, if you want to save, save yourself first. <laughs> um, damn, truth bombs. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, I do drink a lot. I like drinking. Drinking is really fun. It's my 20% of making friends. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. You're oh, going to have God. so many pre-existing conditions. Like, you know, just think about the insurance rates. Yeah, yeah but even Warren Buffett eats, like, McDonald's all the time. It's just because he's happy. Uh, I think his life is just, like, great. He's okay. 90 years old and still sharp as a motherfucking tool. He's so good at what he does. And yeah, anyway. Do you think the on. burgers preserve his brain? <laughs> All the preservatives in the burger just conserve. Yeah, it's the, it's the high sugar and salt content that's like keeping him alive. And if he like cuts it out, he's just like dead yeah. automatically. <laughs> okay. I think we've mentioned a few of these things throughout the podcast but I want to ask you Ola what is the best lessons you've learned in terms of making money I think I would say educate yourself there's no way of saving investing or earning even without constantly constantly educating yourself and just kind of learning what other people have done what's out there kind of what you do in your life when you find like a role model right and you're like oh i'm gonna like follow what this guy's doing it's also finding that role model in in finance and just being like okay this is what a person that's similar to my age maybe that they've they've done this and this and this what are the lessons from them that i can learn how can i um how can i follow those footsteps and and being real with yourself right and admitting that you've been shit with your money And you need to turn that ship around and and get 
better. So I think that would be my lesson, at least it's just just being very honest about where your money's been going and then how can you improve that. So this whole journey that we're doing right now, learning to 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 invest, learning to be better with it, the lessons that I'm going to be taking for accounting and finance, like putting that time into actually uh, facing your ignorance is what I'm at least, you know, it's my lesson is just facing the fact that you don't know anything and and getting better for for the future. So that I would say would be my lesson. Yeah. And I've mentioned this before for me it's more definitely get into the habit of knowing where your money goes. I think that's the first thing and then you can basically cut down or do something else with it, but actually being informed of where your money goes because I think a lot of people don't really know. In the middle of the month they seem to be broke and, and they just don't have a clue where it went or it's very hard to think back on everything. But if you build a good habit around tracking it, then hopefully you're more informed about your decisions and be more aware of where it's actually going, either to something useful or something not. And another lesson is is building a cash cushion. So for example, mm-hmm. what I've been through is I've decided I didn't want to work at this job anymore. If I didn't have a cash cushion or if I didn't have a period that I can burn through, I'll be screwed. It's the pandemic, but because mm-hmm. I've put money aside for like emergency kind of stuff, then that has afforded me more opportunities to get into things like podcasting or making videos. So the whole thing when people talk about money, it's always evil. It's always greed. It's always bad mm-hmm. and but Money is a great, and I didn't say Chamath, this great investor, but he speaks about money. It's an instrument of change, whether it's on a broader scale of if you have so much capital, you can drive whole like swaths of people with economic incentives, or you could drive uh, the decisions you make. There's just more freedom for you to make these decisions when we talk about financial freedom. Treat money like, like a game. It's definitely not all God, and that's not the most important thing, but recognizing its worth for things you want to do in life i think it's really important and doing that start with building a cash cushion that's the easiest and then you can figure out yeah. how to spend it and what to spend it on yeah yeah and to add on to that chris because i think that's really important is it, one of the things to think about is also to approach money like a rich person not like mm. a poor person mm. and i think the difference there is what rich people do is they see their money as capital that they can invest right and i think that's where this this is coming from as well is that we don't just use money as that thing that you spend to make sure that you're you know on your daily spendings and whatever but you use that money as a means to get some somewhere right somewhere bigger and and growing your own wealth and i think that's a difference between thinking like Uh, a person that doesn't have money and thinking like a person that has money is I think even nowadays, like the options for investments, which we will dive into on the next one, the options for investments are, you can start with so little, right? That Mm -hmm. even if you don't have a lot, if you allocate a certain percentage of what you do make, that money is going to grow. And so I think nowadays investment is really not limited to, to people that only make an X amount a year, right? You can be investing $25 if you want to, and that $25 can grow for you. Um, so I think having that mindset of where where you know it's not just money for spending, but it is money for investing, I think that changes, changes a lot as well. 
Um, and then, and, and you mentioned Chama, and uh, you spoke about money as an instrument of change. And I think what we'd like to touch upon on the next episode about, about money is also sustainable investment. Um, so, so investing in microfinance and things like that. And, and I, think, I think we're a generation that's very woke as you know, in quotation marks. Um, and, and I think sometimes looking at stocks and being like, I don't want to invest in oil, for example, right? There are so many other options of investments that are sustainable, that are doing good in the world. And I think I'd love to speak about that on our next one. Um, so definitely tune in for that. Okay, so let's finish it off with the last question, which is what are we going to do now with our money? What does our journey look like? Can you paint a picture for the listeners? I think uh, I think my next immediate steps uh, I've already mentioned. Uh, I think that's uh, getting that basic education in money, in accounting and finance, reading. So we're going to post a, a, a list of books and list of reading that uh, you guys can also do with us. And I think what's cool is that I think what we're going to try and do is as we learn all this stuff, we're going to spread that information. So anything that I learn in my courses, I'm going to also be posting out there, um, doing that learning and then deciding how I'm going to be investing. I think end of next year, so second half of next year, I'd like to buy some property. So I went from thinking of getting an $80,000 three-bedroom apartment by the seaside in Mexico to thinking of now buying property in London, which is like times five <laughs> or more, um, which is obviously a big shift, but also knowing that property in London sells for way more, right? And and it grows way faster as well in, in its worth. And I think that's one of the easiest in a way, easiest in sense of less ri- least risky ways to invest. But yeah, just learning how to otherwise invest as well. Um, should I be going into stocks, bonds, mutual funds? What is it that I'm doing? I want to get be really clear about that in the first quarter of next year uh, and, and start making some of those, uh, those decisions in a more informed way. So for now, this year, it's just saving up, continuing to save. And then next year, putting that money somewhere where it can multiply. And what about awesome. you, Chris? You've already got some investments. Yeah, so continue to do my standard retail investments and and learn basically how the game works, right? Because I've only been investing for just a few months, I really don't know what I'm doing, but I'm starting small and eventually look at companies from a proper investment standpoint where you're looking at lots of different things and, and I'll share them in the next podcast, but really things like company culture, vision, do they have a great competitive advantage? Uh, growing industry and then all the financials so actually be able to write investment thesis based on quantitative data and also qualitative data because I think most people do this uh, when they think about stocks or good investors do this they have a pad and they just write down why should you invest or why not invest and, and then you can kind of kind of have a more methodical way to choose the companies that you put your money in so definitely doing my own research and building that process, which will be really interesting. And then allocate more money behind that, those decisions, right? So that's, mm-hmm. that's definitely one thing I'm doing. And, and trying to shift more effort to passive over active. And I've been talking and thinking about this for a while. I just haven't really gone all in with the passive. But mm-hmm. as I think about the potential future of my job 
and and where I want to be in life, I, I need to then shift that time and energy to more passive income. So I think those are some of the things I'm thinking about. And yeah, it'd be great to talk to everybody about this. And the next podcast will be really investment basis, like stocks, mm-hmm. sustainable investment, what we're trying to do, what to look out for in terms of buying shares and owning a part of company. Do we want to look at index funds and or maybe even some hot tips on Airbnb or Apple or Tesla or some of these mm-hmm. companies, what are they doing and what's the buzz around them? And we can definitely dive into some of that stuff. Anything else we want to close up on, Ola? Yeah, I think also maybe uh, mortgages, right? And and buying the first property, because I think that's a big one uh, that as I'm learning about it as well, I'm like, there's so many questions that I have. Uh, I don't know if we'll have time next uh, next episode to also just talk about understanding your earnings and the tax mm. that you pay on them and how to be smarter about it, because that's also what I'm I'm trying to sort out now as I've moved here and tax in the UK is absolutely insane. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see uh, if, if, if we can uh, touch upon that as well on the next one. But yeah, any questions, any sort of advice or doubts or, or anything that you guys want us to, to talk about or you want to share, I think we're, we're happy to, to hear about it. Uh, but yeah, follow us uh, on Instagram as well and because uh, we'll be posting a bunch of things um, following up on this episode with you know stuff to read, stocks to follow and, and tips and tricks and stuff like that. So yeah. Yeah, DM us on Instagram. That's probably the best way to reach us. It's like, Ola Takoyaki. <laughs> so I've, I've realized that we've, uh, we've been mentioning that on the next episode, we'll be talking about, uh, about investments and, and, you know, we'll obviously be t- touching on stocks and, and mutual funds property, uh, buying property and income tax, but that will be actually on our next financial series episode. Uh, and I think what we're trying to do with Chris is build a very well-rounded podcast where we talk about, you know, all these different things. So if you heard the, the, uh, the first episode that we did, that was talking about the prep and kind of the structure of what we're going to do on rounding bananas, we, we kind of uh, mentioned all the different things that we wanted to, to talk about. So our actual next episode is, is going to be about the subject of sex. So sexuality and what it means when you're Asian and you have to approach the subject of sexuality, you know, expressing your sexual desires and fetishes with strangers like Chris Wood or or with your partner and the subject of sex in general and something called the pussy power movement. So tune in next episode to find out about all that. Perfect. Oh, not you, Takoyaki. <laughs> <laughs>